0: You're listening to The Setup Podcast, a podcast that helps you navigate new topics in music, tech, and entrepreneurship, with the most disruptive professionals in the music industry, turning their experiences working behind the scenes into actionable advice you can use. I'm Sydney. And I'm Sam. And And we're your hosts for The Setup Podcast. If you're like us, passionate about paving your own path, hit the subscribe button on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite app because we'll help set you up for success at The Setup Podcast. I want to say a quick shout out to our amazing listeners. Truly, I created this podcast to help those who are new to the industry, just like I was once. And I'm very happy to learn that I can also provide insight to those who have been in music for a while. I want to give another shout out to all of our new listeners of The Setup Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. In case you've missed last week, we learned about Jamie's role during the launch of Aaliyah's online store and the strategy it took to help one in a million hit the top 10 on the Billboard charts. This week, we met up with Megan Hamilton. After learning from marketing professionals and and artist teams this season, we are excited to begin interviewing artists and hear their insight into their careers. So Megan Hamilton is a producer and vocalist out of Minneapolis. With her debut on Bristol's Ghetto Funk, Megan brings a European influence to funk in the U.S. Her recent tracks have been supported by moguls like Benny Benassi, Closey, Sticky Buds, Funk Hunters, and more. Today, we discuss us how Megan connects with her fans through her genre-bending performances and personal brand. How is it going? It's going
1: great. Sorry, I've like taken a hundred years to like coordinate this. Life. Yeah,
0: for <laughs> sure, for sure. Hey, um, we really appreciate your time, regardless of everything that's going on. We're yeah, here, of course. so of course. thank we're- you so <laughs> much for being flexible. I appreciate all a lot. Awesome. Well, thank you for having me. Thanks again for joining us on the of setup course. podcast today. Um, of course, we have to start it with how did you get into music?
1: Oh, this one. Uh, okay. Um, this lovely thing right here, probably, um, like a lot of us, I started out doing more like singer songwriting stuff, I would say. And. I don't know, I was probably, like, 15 or 16 when we started doing, like, coffee shop shows. Um, I was 11 when I first got into guitar lessons. And then um, that sort of evolved into bass and drums and all that other shit. And um, I think, like, at first, yeah, my very, very much my goal was, like, I was very, like, into Blalock's playlists, so, you know, very much like a pitchfork uh, kid before before it was cool no like uh, right like d- d- precisely when it was cool and um I think I really wanted to sort of embody like that indie singer-songwriter uh, like acoustic guitar books bookstore vibe uh per the amount of Grey's Anatomy that I was probably watching and um I did that for a little while and then I yeah I branched off into other instruments and stuff and then into college I kind of like really branched out into listening to a lot more music than I had been exposed to being from Montana you know like obviously it's gotten so much better over the years but like um, you're sort of removed from a regular um, outpouring of like pop culture aside from what you're seeing like that's conveyed to you on like the media or whatever so the input from like friends or people that were doing research outside of what was being um kind of indoctrinated into us was something that took me into college to kind of find and then I feel like that's when my mind was really opened to like it's embarrassing to admit this but like to like Jurassic 5 and like Tribe Called Quest and um, Phoenix was a huge influence and, uh, and that was a huge influence because it's how they're French funk, you know, like you, people think of them as a, like a pop band and they're fucking French funk. Like if you go listen to them you can go listen back, that's funk, it's French. That is like as daft punky as a live band sort of gets in like several instances of it. Um, and so looking back on sort of those like formative years of my, of me building my musical repertoire in terms of like what I was influenced by and stuff, I would say, that that's when it kind of evolved and then my first festival ever was electric daisy carnival in 2010 holy fuck i don't know if if i had any knowledge about any of this shit that i ever would have said that i was okay with edc being my first festival i was like i'm gonna go every year till i die i remember saying that to like all my friends i was so dead ass i was like and you're coming with me like i was like serious dude um that was really inspiring. I was still like fucking around with music and stuff. I was actually making hip hop because I was living in mm-hmm. Minneapolis. Um, and so that was sort of what was surrounding me. That was sort of what was like available to me in terms of breaking my way into a new market. And, you know, Ryan Sayers is so prominent here. And so is Doomtree and all of that. So it was like I was heavily influenced to go into that direction. And like people kind of felt like I was I feel like talented musically. And so that was kind of like the natural gravitational pull being where I was geographically. And then I sort of started to realize how much I fucking hated watching people cross their arms and do this to my whole fucking set. And that drove me insane. And then I like DJ'd one show when I was like a house trance DJ with my old, um one of my ex girlfriends. We were called Fembot, it was like our trance house um, duo. And we had a residency at this place called The Lounge in Minneapolis. And People were shuffling like at 9 p.m. And I was like, what the heck Why the fuck am I fucking around with this crowd of people that nod their heads at me and like make me feel zero reciprocity that I have to provide all the energy? I was like, this is where it's at. And I kind of just kind of, well, I think I tried to do this hybridization for a while of like, I definitely did try to do like this hybridization of like hip hop and electronic music. And then I started an 11 piece band called Menashe Quad. And then that was like an electro swing hip hop, like clusterfuck thing. And we went viral on Reddit and it was crazy. And then I was like, I don't want to give credit to other people that aren't putting in as much work as me anymore. So from now on, it will be called Megan Hamilton and the whatever the fuck. And that's how it's been ever since. I guess that's the very abridged version.
0: Hey, I mean, well, <laughs> that was a lie. Um, first off, are you still in Minneapolis now, though? I am currently in
1: Minneapolis. Yeah, I could like the- throw a rock two miles and I'll hit First Avenue, <laughs> Prince's
0: venue. Nice. Okay, that's what I thought because when you when you said like when Central you moved, yeah, when you moved <laughs> there. No, when you moved there, I'm like, wait a second.
1: Sorry. Yeah. I'm from Montana originally. I moved here when I was, well, I moved from Montana to Alaska when I was 19. I worked there for a year and then I moved from Alaska to Minnesota and I've been here now for 12 years. Wow.
0: So many changes. Oh my gosh. With, With the, yeah, with the locations and also the music. So like, how would you describe your music now and has your influences changed since then? Um, okay, hold on. I have this written on my board. Let's see. Yeah, genres and types okay. of music. Like, I feel like it's so hard for me sometimes. Okay, this was like what I wrote down for
1: my last... When I was making an album over COVID, which I didn't put out, but I put a couple songs out from. My list was um, Stay Loose, Jameer Kwai, Bene, Dua Lipa, Big Wild. <laughs> and then my sub-genre influences were uh French funk, French R&B, future bass, and, like, gospel harmony vocals. So, uh, yeah, anyway, um, Time Flies By was the only song I think I put out from that album, And I don't think it sounds like any of those people. Maybe Lewis the Child.
0: (laughs) I was just going to say that, by the way. I love that song that you put out. This is just my opinion. I think it's different than what you've previously released. And also it's very different than the set I saw of yours at Sonic Bloom. You can upload your music to DistroKid, add lyrics and collaborators, and your music will be heard on all major streaming platforms. It is an easy way to make money and get discovered. Best part about it, you keep 100% of your royalties. If you'd like to save on your annual membership, follow the link in our episode show notes.
1: Yes, yeah, so I'm really trying to bridge this gap right now, to be honest with you. Like, it's like my lizard brain is like, oh, I write music and I'm a singer songwriter and like I can make you feel the feels. But like my, you know, my bot brain is like, let's go, you know? So, and I really love like remix culture. I really love like, shedding new light on old classics. Like, I think a lot of the, you know, one of the biggest comments that I ever hear when I, when after shows is like, I don't and okay let me preface this with that I often get put into the position of being the tokenized EDM artist at a jam band festival or I'm just often like the token EDM artist at a festival that is otherwise not prominently electronic music and then I get put sort of at the end of like the the catch-all or whatever and I think that's because one of the largest comments that I get from people is I hate electronic music but I loved that and I think it's um i think it's like the familiarity that people are really mm. getting from a lot of the nostalgia i provide with of the remixes that mm. i'm making and like normally you know, they don't fucking like hearing like <clears throat> you know what i like they don't want to fucking hear that shit they but they will hear it when snoop dogg's rapping over it you know and so i think you kind of have to like ease into those things it's hard for me to answer the question of like why some of the stuff I make so contradicts what I play live because what I play live is like I really fucking enjoy doing that. I really enjoy the high energy that um the, what that my sets create. I really enjoy the party and like the good vibes and like the demographic of people that come out is very unique. You know, it's much far removed and different than the demographic of people that are going to come out and see like a prominent charting ho- house artist or something like that. You know, I have never had a concern once in my life that the people in my crowd are going to get in a fucking fight. <sighs>
0: You know. That's true. The energy yeah. was amazing. And, and that's actually what I was going to comment at because I know you mentioned earlier with the hip hop crowds and that, that house crowd that was shuff, that was like shuffling out at 9 p.m. This was way different. This was not that. Um, the crowd was given back as much as y- the energy that you're putting in. And there's nothing more that more that I love than when you can connect with your um fans um and your audience what do you so i guess you answered this already um so i'm happy you did so you think the contributing factor is like the nostalgia factor
1: yeah i think that's definitely a large part of it yeah and then like i just feed off that reciprocity and i can tell when people are vibing with what is happening um and i kind of hone in on people you know like i'm like I'll find the people that are having the best time, you know, and then like I'll lock eyes with them and I'm like, we're doing this now. Cause like not everyone (laughs) is having that experience. You know, some people I've had to have this conversation with J Mac before because it's like, I was like, man, I fucking hate when people aren't dancing and I'm like, and and they're right in the front row and I'm like, dude, I can fucking see you in plain sight. Like you're not moving at all. You're killing my vibe. You know, like you're leaning (laughs) against the rail. Um, and that shit really kind of drives me insane sometimes, but he was like, well, how much, how often are you like digging a vibe, but you're not dancing. And I'm like, fuck.
0: Yeah. Then I was like, "Never." Well, me. <laughs> honestly, me
1: a lot. Like sometimes, uh, because I do not like to be in the sardine can necessarily, I'll be just kind of standing in the back, maybe in shock about, and like in shock and awe and appreciation of what someone else is doing. I don't have to be going nuts at them. Um, for me to be enjoying it. And as soon as he said that, I was kind of like, okay, I'm misjudging what's happening. If someone's up there in the very front row, it's because they want to be up there and maybe they're tripping and maybe they're rolling and maybe they're whatever the fucking Mm -hmm. and they just aren't in a headspace where they want to move their body, but they're like taking all of that in, you know, and so I had to like, back up for a moment and be like okay not everyone not moving is not vibing it's just like there are different levels of this and that but yeah having that reciprocity is really great and and sometimes because i do have that insecurity about seeing people up there who um who aren't dancing or whatever, then I can just really hone in on somebody that is and be like mm-hmm. me and you are having a party now, you know? And like, I will fucking vibe with them the whole time. I will mouth the words with them. Like we'll sing along together. And like, those are, I really enjoy those moments and finding those people because those people carry me through. I don't have to worry about what anybody else is doing. If some dumb shit is happening, if security's carrying somebody out or like whatever the fuck, you know, like I'm like, we're with, I'm with you now and with you now. And I'll just connect with those few people that I can tell are really connecting with me. And they kind of keep me moving. I mean, with everyone else as well, but it's easy to like, it's nice to be able to have those few select people that I'm just like, let's do this.
0: Yeah. I mean, I get what what you're saying hundred percent. I mean, I have never been in the position of what you're doing, but I can, I can understand like, you know, when you look out and it, it doesn't seem like from the outside that like they're there's any energy sometimes, but I must say like when I'm feeling it the most, I go all the way to the back so I can have space and like dance out and like not even be in the way or have others be in the way of myself. So I could see both sides and I'm happy you mentioned that because I'm sure a lot of those um, artists that are listening to this right now, they probably feel the same.
1: Yeah, totally. It's not... Yeah, no, you can't expect everyone to feel like, like, I don't feel like raging all the time. Why the fuck would I expect everyone else to feel like raging all the time? That just seems really stupid. So um yeah. I can totally be vibing and on like a 40 milligram edible in the back of some shit and having the time of my life. <laughs> and I probably am like just a tree man and I haven't moved at all, but I'm enjoying the shit out of it. And you would never know. But like, who are you to judge? Yeah. You don't know. I ate 40 milligrams a week.
0: <laughs> You're not um, a mind reader. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, Samantha can relate to that. <laughs> no, it. I don't know. I'm on like the opposite spectrum. Like I can't, like, I'm not going out of control like some people do, but I can't stop moving. Like, you can't control yourself. Well,
1: you're the, probably the kind of person that I'd be like, it's me and you. Like, let's yeah. go. You know? like, it's I need so that. crazy.
0: It's so crazy. I always tell my friends, I'm like, don't you get confused right now. My body can't stop vibing to this song. I do not like this song. Like I'm telling them, but my body keeps going because I like beats and I like rhythms and I just keep going. But I'm like, don't take this lightly. Smith. I was going to mention when you weren't drinking and you took edibles at a country music (laughs) concert and that story kills me. You were just like bopping. I'm (laughs) like, who does that? I'd be I'd be like Megan standing in the back, like <laughs> wait, which which one was this? Rachel like, tenpenny. Oh, because I love that. Like <laughs> and everyone's trying to give me alcohol. I'm like, no, thank you. <laughs> so funny. Alrighty. Um, so what type of dog do you have? She
1: is a tri-suit pocket bully. So I don't
0: even know why I asked.
1: <laughs> um she's a little like miniature pocket pitbull okay i don't
0: crazy. i don't think i've ever seen a pocket or a miniature try suit pocket pitbull is that I, what it is
1: yeah here hold on i i wonder if my uh i have tons of photos of her i just didn't know if this would show up remotely while on my webcam but i'll try to just pull one up for you super fast
0: okay, okay what cutie. the heck <laughs> oh my god wait how old is your dog at that point? She's three. <gasps> That's full 10. sized. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Here's one more. You can see it. Yeah. For oh, real though, can my that face get any cuter. She couldn't. She can't. She can't. It's stupid. It's not okay. Like, we can't even fucking punish her. Well, I mean, we're we're both good bad cops, but like
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. She's, like cutie. She's so cute, it's stupid smithy your cat is probably that okay size. shut up no is it a Maine coon not, or what you just got a fat cat no i don't have a fat cat like uh, everyone sounds keeps like it. insulting her she's um, she's, she's got ears. a tiny she's he's
1: big bone
0: <laughs> yeah big body tiny head yeah tiny she has paws. a long body <laughs> <Love it. laughs> We love she it. She only gains her weight in her stomach like her mom. Like that's oh, all. No, no, no <laughs> right, shirts, it. It's just hanging. Huh? I love that. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. Let's just, just skip the rest of the podcast and talk about animals for the rest <laughs> of <my> <laughs> e- Easy, easy. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. But going back into it, okay. But first off, uh, can I still get a photo emailed? Because <laughs> yeah, I would yeah, love to stare Wait, at h- that thing. How about like Instagram? I'll just add you on Instagram. Yes. Yes, yes. I, I, I always forget that we can communicate through social yep. platforms as well. Cool, cool, cool. So let's talk about you a little bit more and like your personal brand because I know there's some things that, that resonates with you and um your fans. So let's talk about that. Like how would you describe your personal brand? <laughs> um so something I've realized, I guess, in
1: the last year is that like, I feel like people associate me a little less with music maybe as they do with, like, just my personality and, like, me being a person of – art, me being an influencer or whatever you want to call it. Um, and so – I feel like I've just noticed that, like, based off, like, my social media interaction for, like, it, like you mm. know, my, my performance for music does, like, decently well. When I do, like, you know, um, reels and videos of me making beats, those obviously perform well because those kind of inherently perform well just, like, anyway. Um, but I've just kind of realized that, like, I feel like people view me sort of as, like, a general influencer that's present in, like, several different um, facets of the entertainment industry as opposed to just being, like someone that we're like, we're here for Megan's music. Mm -hmm. Like they're here for Megan's memes and they're here for like the Sunday meme dump. And like, for me fucking talking shit about this or that. And for me, like, you know, standing up for this or that. And like, for me, not, you know, for me calling out whatever I think is some fucking bullshit. Um, I think that carries a lot of my brand more than a lot of my music does. And that isn't something I guess I'm like really ashamed of. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I still call myself an artist and musician, like first and foremost, I guess. But, um, yeah, I feel like to quote Nina Simone, like, you know, all of that goes back to like, this is an artist's duty,
0: Mm -hmm. you
1: know, this is my, my duty is to not just put out music and not give a shit. Like, it's my duty to reflect the times. And like, that's not always making like fucking dubstep bangers about Mm -hmm. getting high. So, yeah.
0: you know, I mean, people love to know more about the artist behind their music, um, too. And I think since you are so personal, they just resonate <clears throat> with that a lot and like the humor from it. <clears throat> but from that, I guess, how do you loop it back to people seeing you as an artist and not just like personality or meme or humorous person?
1: Yeah. So I think that like people do understand that that is like, you know, like LART in a larger perspective, like what I do, but I was just actually having this conversation with my partner this morning because she's a performer as well. And she was like, you know, I need to announce these like three upcoming cantina shows that we have. Cantina is a house residency that we run together here in Minneapolis. And I was, she was like, but my reach has kind of been shit lately. And I'm like, well, like marketing wise, it's like people must be feeling overwhelmed by you wanting them to buy something.
0: Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and so that's something that I feel like I have a good understanding of is that like when I'm posting about a show that happened already, or that is going to happen or like whatever, my general message about it is not like, yo, check this out. I'm playing buy a ticket now, you know, like that's not really the, like you, I I was going to say you catch more bees with honey or whatever, but that's not really what I mean. Like, um, just like you're saying like uh, my answer to her question was just like your reach sucks because people are sick of you being like hey I'm gonna play this show here come pay this money and see me at this shit and it's like that's not what people want to hear from you anymore like once you pass that certain threshold of you being like this exciting debut artist like people's everybody's friend that's on, on stage all of a sudden you have to sort of find like a different way to appeal to people and I think I've realized that the most the best way to do that is honestly to just be fucking real with them. Like, like when I, like, oh, today I had, I felt like I made a bitchy post, you know? And like one of my, my posts today was like saying something along the lines of just like, yo, we are doing this new cantina. I'm really pumped about it. Like we we booked the sponges. I'm really excited to have them here. But, but like on a personal note, aside from all of that, like, I need y'all to stop asking me for guest list. And we're just like, you know, kind of going back into this whole conversation of like why it's important for you to not do that. And like, why, um, you know, if you didn't have the foresight to support my event, then I don't have time to interact with you while I, while I hang out with the people that did. And so don't text me for fucking guest list while I'm already putting, actively running the show um that you're asking to come into you know and uh, you know like i know the that's disrespect like respect
0: and nerves <laughs> like, yeah you know
1: and it's like i don't make bitchy posts i feel like all the time i'm not one of those people that just like rant 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 i don't think that's a reason that people are you know some people do get big like are very popular because their rants are super fucking funny and shit and i definitely can rant my ass off but i don't feel like a <laughs> giant portion of like what i of my demographic and a, like my interaction with people is based off of the fact that i rant Sometimes And today, yeah, my post was sort of a ranty thing, but it was a relatably ranty thing. It was relatable to like the 1000 DJ artist people that I'm friends with on Facebook. It was relatable to the event producers and the promoters and the staff working the venues. And um, it was relatable to people that don't have any part in that, but know that it's not appropriate to ask for that, you know, and again, it was me being real. Like, it wasn't me coming up with some fucking, like, this is so special to me because I just, I love the sponges and, like, I just love Cantina and I love music and I wouldn't be doing this without all of you. And not to, like, put down that kind of stuff, but it's just, like, I get kind of, like, fucking sick of this cliche caption that everyone's like, oh, this festival brought me life this weekend and like not to say that that shit doesn't sometimes but it just becomes so disingenuous when it's just so regurgitated and sometimes I have a really hard time writing my captions because I'm like fuck this sounds disingenuous yeah it's hard always to summon the right thing to say you know what I mean when that comes to those situations but it's like I'm not gonna just be like I had so much fun you guys changed my life another bloom in the books you know, like, I don't know. I have to say something real about it or it just feels so fake that I'll delete it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, who's
0: who's that positive and happy all the time? Like, that's just ingenuine genuine right there. I mean, <laughs> that that, the that's exactly those, like, reality versus social media posts. <laughs> like, that's exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> like, it's like um, like someone posting about the fire festival and then was actually there. And it's like a cheese sandwich. Like it's exactly that, but uh, to an extreme, but, um, I think like what you're saying too, especially to your partner is like, you, you can't ask too much of those following you without showing up for them. So I think like by you showing your personality and like what else is going on, it like helps, others make a connection and how it's tied back to your music and who you are, because that's like what really creates that, I guess, relationship.
1: Definitely. And like, I think, you know, the more that we realize and acknowledge that, you know, like, I mean, people of color made like every fucking genre of every bit of music that I remix or play on stage, Mm -hmm. you know, acknowledging things like that is something that like, we have to be present for that's part of the work that's part of you know like not erasing that history and like taking that away from those people and allowing me as a white person to be able to get on stage and like play this shit and people be like oh megan's fucking amazing blah blah, blah and then like not show up for those people like that's fucked up you know like it it's is. i just read a, a book the other day that i i'm not gonna go into it but um <laughs> it was really fucking awesome Um, It could be like polarizing, I suppose. And that's why I don't want to bring it up. But I can tell y'all what it was later. But basically, it was just the the point was brought up that um, if you're white in America, you're an American. Everyone else has to hyphenate. Wow.
0: And that was like
1: really shocking to me. And it's like we inherently don't allow them to be part of our culture and it's been said in like a you know a republican senator's like speech with in like 2021 when he was giving like a graduate speech in mississippi that you know candid he said candidly native american culture is not much part of american history and you know it's just like statements like that that really make me realize how far we have to go and like, Mm -hmm. yay, we can get married right now. Those rights are slowly being stripped from, from us. And you know, every, every, every step forward we take, we take three steps back and that's like historically existent. And I think we romanticize the past so much because of how it's taught to us that we don't really realize that that's the case. And I just don't want to like be a part of the erasure of that, like of what got me here. And so that's why I feel that necessity and that onus to show up and to be vocal about those situations.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I completely like feel that too, because when I was in college, I minored in gender and women's studies, but it was, they clumped with that, like minority studies, like literally like black history, like, and I was just thinking to myself, first of all, like there's one course that only had, like, maybe 30 people, maybe five people actually minored in it or majored. And I'm like, that didn't make any sense, but it helped me, like, basically start realizing just how, like, white privilege exists without people actually being educated correctly Um, upon this earlier. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. And it's, like,
1: also just exactly what you're saying. It's, like, if we even go into a bookstore, you know, like, where we are the the minority is marginalized in a bookstore you know we have american literature and then we have black history (laughs) literature and then we have women's literature Mm -hmm. and like we're already being told subconsciously in those environments that we are not part of 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 white males history Mm -hmm. we're not part of that we're being segregated in 2022 in a bookstore in bookstores Mm -hmm. like Asian American writing, African American writing, like BIPOC writing is completely separated. Women's literature is separated. It's completely separated. Like we were not part of, of creating the society that that we live on. Even after, you know, basically every building that is involved in American government today was built on the back of Black people, and like mm-hmm. all of society and all the was built in like the post World War II sort of gender roley. Uh, bullshit as far as women are concerned it, and and on the backs of those women who w- let their husbands go to fucking work and drink all goddamn day while they watched the kids and did everything else and maintained the home and and they weren't glorified at all and and yeah no it's just that erasure of of the reality of what was happening and i think a really cool part of that book that i was reading is something that uh, that she said was that language is never neutral mm mm-hmm. mhm When you're saying something, you're choosing a side. And and however you choose to say it is is the side you're choosing there. It's never neutral. And so our history is so, so, so diluted with these like, you know, the colonizers came and they tried to work it out with the natives. But after multiple conflicts and altercations, we found they weren't able to build civility on their own. And so we relocated them to places where they did, you know, and that rhetoric creates Complete bullshit misinformation for for everyone, first of all, but, you know, that language is not neutral. That language is not fucking neutral at all. It doesn't create any room for error and it completely, like, um, exonerates the white man from any any wrongdoing in that scenario, so it's like, there's so much fixing that needs to happen when it comes to all of that, but yeah, language isn't neutral and and, yeah. 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 I have so and much I could go off
0: about. No, that. same. Yeah. Honestly, I'm so passionate about this. So you're speaking my language because to be honest, like any uh, in my like reality life, like experience, like any white person, especially like a white male has to be consciously changing their behavior because they have to unlearn everything that was just given to them and realize what's actually going on. And so this kind of brings it up. You being a woman artist in the entertainment and music industry, you know, you can even talk about being a woman, but how did you grow as an artist throughout your career so far?
1: Um, Well, I think moving to a place that was more full of gay people and people of color was a good first step. Um, Definitely. Um, something along the lines that I wanted to like bring up with what you're saying and that applies to like women as well, you know, much larger to race, but it's just that like white people get so freaked out when they have to exist in a black space, when they have to exist in a BIPOC space. Um, whereas black people have to exist in a white space every day. They have to, to live life. Like they can't, there's no way around it. You know, we can go around the black community. We cannot go to Northeast Minneapolis. We cannot or to North Minneapolis. We cannot go to the cub on like this side of the street where we know that it's like heavily, you know, like there's much more uh like of the BIPOC community that's going to be present there. We can actively choose to not participate in those spaces. Um we have that choice and that privilege. Uh, Which is not a privilege, I wouldn't necessarily say, but like to us to feel safe all the time is a privilege. And and black people have to all all people of color have to interact in our our world every fucking day. And I would equate that on a much smaller scale to men, men in the music industry i love y'all some of y'all very much but you will never fucking understand what it's like every space is built for you it's it's for you it's by you Mm -hmm. and when we come into that space we're we have to be in our out of our comfort zone you know and you never it's i guess it's much easier to equate like um to make someone understand that in the way of saying that, like, a dude walking into a, a room full of women where only women are working, it, that would yeah. freak them the fuck out. That would make them feel uncomfortable. Well, welcome to it, you know? And, like, I'm really happy to see a ton more presence when it comes to, like, you know, the dark side of the industry with women doing, you know, sound and, like, lighting production and VJing and, like, stage tech stuff and managing agents, blah, blah, blah but um you know the disparity is just enormous still and we are stepping foot into a prominently male run owned space um constantly and they never have to set foot in that except for maybe at like a fucking bachelorette party that they walk into last I don't know it's just like i and if
0: they're hetero like heterosexual like cis male like they definitely don't see a problem with that from what i've noticed like can easily start hitting on like women are like getting along and stuff. So depending
1: on the confidence level, definitely. Yeah. But, <laughs> you know, sure, I mean, it, sure. that sort of is a little tangential from, you know, the, the race thing for sure. But it is a space that we, as a minority, as women af- and within the music industry, be it white or BIPOC as women, we do have to exist in it. It is run by males. It's designed by males. Um, it will be that way for a while.
0: So what advice do you give fellow music professionals or, or even women, if you want to say like that's in this industry?
1: Um, to women, I would say like voice your boundaries. If you need to go to the hotel before you go to the venue to do sound check, then fucking say that. like, Uh, Not all of us can do a little horse bath in the bathroom and like put deodorant on and put a hat on and call it a fucking day. And it's not comfortable to get done with a show at 2 a.m. and then drive in a sprinter all day long and have to show up to the venue and be told by eight dudes that you have to stay there and you have to get ready in the public bathroom. It's okay to voice your boundaries and your opinions and like your needs when you're being brought along and you were asked to be brought along in those scenarios you know, like the, your need should at least be heard and considered. Um, I just had a couple like good, like if I had to tell anybody this kind of <sighs> shit. Yes. You know, when I get in like a ranty mood, I'm like, oh, and if I had one piece of advice, I would <laughs> you know, but like naturally now I can't really think of it. I guess my two big ones that I really fucking live by is the two minute rule and the five minute rule. Um, the two minute rule is if there's a task at hand and it's going to take you less than two minutes and you know that do it now. Like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, get it together. Let's go. Mm -hmm. Takes two minutes. If that means you're like texting someone back or texting them back to say that you can't talk right now or calling them back to say you can't talk right now or sending an email to say you can't talk right now or whatever it is to handle the thing so that you don't piss people off in in the future. As an artist, you need to fucking do that shit. Artists Mm -hmm. do not have a good pulse on that. Artists leave people hanging all the time. We have lots of Murphy's Law when it comes to scheduling and stuff, and that's just inherent. And just being like completely AWOL and just being, you know, not present to say, I'm sorry, I'm not here for this right now, or I can't do that right now, or whatever it is, that's going to fucking bite you in the ass with the quickness. Because uh, those things stack up really fast. Those little tiny tasks that you think, oh, it's so small, I'll handle it later. That can be 15 people mad at you really fucking quick um and then the second one would be the five minute rule um if i don't want to do something if i don't want to read my book if i don't want to get in the studio if i don't want to finish a design project i'll make myself spend five minutes on it and most of the time i'll end up spending like five hours on it but once i get it's kind of like getting to the gym you know Mm -hmm. like once you're there everything else is better but getting there is really (laughs) shitty sometimes yeah. But if you can say like, hey, I'm going to go down there for five minutes, I'm going to try something. And if I come down here and I don't make shit, that's okay. Tomorrow I can wake up and I can say I tried. It's much better than, than saying I didn't even try yesterday. And then True. you can get into this loop of like. I'm not going to try again today because what's the point? You know what I mean? And yeah, Yeah, I dig that. I dig that.
0: I could actually use that advice because guess what? Even if you don't like do what you were wanting to do, you're still five minutes closer than if you didn't even try.
1: Exactly. And often you'll end up there like, 10 times longer than you were supposed to in the first place. And then you're like in the groove and everything's fine, but it's really important you do that. And then I also heard this little tip actually last weekend that, that helps with the five minute rule, which is the five, four, three, two, one rule, which is like, if you're in your head, like, Oh fuck, I really need to like go, you know, like I need really need to stretch today so that I don't feel sore on the plane tomorrow. Or I really need to write that piano line today. Or like, I really need to do X, Y, Z or whatever this thing is that you want to do. You just go five, four, three, two, one, and you fucking get up and you do it. And I, I incorporate that. that into the five minute, you know, we're going five, four, three, two, one, we're getting up, we're doing it for five minutes. If I still hate my life in five minutes and I don't <laughs> want to do this anymore, then, then good. Fine. I still tried. It's okay. We can move on and I'll try again tomorrow. I'm and totally going to take it. it.
0: Yeah, no, I'm totally going to take that because I've been feeling very unmoive lately. So that sounds really good to me. So then what's next for you?
1: Um, I'm going to put out a bunch of music and hopefully people are going to like it.
0: <laughs> Is there Sorry. anything that you could share, anything that we could expect or keep a pulse on? Oh my release? God,
1: that's <laughs> tough, man. No, I don't really have anything like, uh, I mean, I have so many gigs coming up here that I'm excited about. Um, you can check all those out on my link in bio you know, on my Instagram.
0: Perfect.
1: Um, or my events on Facebook, I anywhere use social media. Um, but yeah I don't know I'm really like taking it one step at a time right now with my music I'm trying not to get too in my head about not just cranking out content because I feel like people get really weighted down by the pressures of that and that's not healthy um Mm -hmm. and I need to like accept that I'm not feeling like super super creative right now and let it pass and then we'll like go back to that you know um, I'm definitely making music and stuff right now, but I'm just like, I, I've, I've, I've a, a lot of things in the works. It's just a matter of now sort of prioritizing and like getting them out there. And so, yeah, excited for stuff, but I don't have anything that I guess I could just like boldly say like, this is what it's going to happen yet.
0: That's okay. We'll direct people to time flies uh, because mm-hmm. honestly, I love it. So I, I've, I say, like, good, like, amazing job on that. Mm You'll need to hear that from me. Thank you so much. Then we asked this last question to all of our guests. And so the listeners know it's coming. Um, And you've kind of already talked about a little bit, but we're going to ask anyways, as a formality, (laughs) what do you want to be known for? (laughs) Um. Wow. That is such a funny
1: question I don't know dude I'm all over the fucking place I like I I'm a graphic designer by trade I love making uh I love doing graphics I love doing merch I love doing promotional stuff I love designing clothes I love doing my own graphics I love doing my album art I love producing my music I love producing events I love you know um I love cooking if it if it has to do with making things that are pretty I like it um. I, I don't really.
0: that you're such a creative so soul aesthetically <laughs> pleasing
1: yeah no if it if it i i I guess this is what i always say is like people are like you know i can't really associate you with like one genre or whatever and like your sets are different than the music that you release sometimes and like this and that and i guess the the end of the fucking day i would like people to say we're gonna go see megan hamilton because whatever it is is gonna be fucking sick And it doesn't matter if it's Time Flies and I play like some crazy piano acoustic version of it that I broke up everything in the middle of like some Outcast remix and a Twister remix to like play piano, you know, like whatever I'm feeling like I'm going to do it. Um, And I and I would love to gain the reputation that it doesn't matter what it is because it will be cool anyway.
0: That's fantastic honestly. I love that you just said makes that. That's sick shit. no matter what it is. <laughs> <laughs> Ideally. Right? Yeah. Cuz you are that. sick. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love guys. I love that appreciate so much. Y'all. Well, thank you so much for giving us your time and like yeah, ending it on this thank note. You for making a little bit
1: like a close cut for me. I appreciate that. All right. Yeah. Thanks
0: y'all. I appreciate yep. you. Sam,
1: Sydney, it was nice to meet you. I'll see you soon.
0: Bye. Thanks for joining me for another episode of The Setup Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please review The Setup on Apple Podcasts. And I encourage you to share this episode with your friends and colleagues. If you have any topic recommendations or questions, please visit us at www.thesetupseries.com.